Uh, I struggled, if I'm honest, when I started to try and think uh, about the answer to the question that John posed. Where had I encountered Jesus during the last few months, through the, the last year? Because very often it seemed to me, it felt to me that I was not encountering Jesus because everything was so locked down, everything was so so contained, so controlled. We weren't going out very much, we weren't really leaving the house other than for our daily exercise and and even then I was working for a building company and working from home so I rarely left the confines of my home and although when we did go out we'd go for walks on the golf course and I, I could talk about uh, how we encountered God in the beauty of creation, the reality for me is that I encountered Jesus most in the periods of silence, in the challenging times, in the difficult times when it seemed that not only was the world silent but felt almost that God was silent. I looked around me at all that was going on in the world and I was so dejected, I was so troubled. I thought how on earth can God be in this and that's when I started turning to some of the Psalms, particularly Psalm 88 but other psalms to think about lament, to think about how would I encounter God in the midst of trouble, in the midst of struggle, in the, the times where the days seemed dark and it didn't look like those days would lighten anytime soon. And that's what I did. I prayed. I turned to God in prayer and, and I found in those prayers, those prayers of lament that were were bringing my complaint to God, saying, God, what is going on with the world? What is going on with my life? How? How do I survive through these times with hope? It was at those times that Jesus kept on bringing my mind back again and again and again to those words from the end of Matthew, where it says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And it was then that I started to become aware of, of God's presence even in the midst of trouble, perhaps more so in the midst of silence where I could reflect, I could bring, um, bring all that was on my heart, I could pour it out to God and God would say, I hear you. I know it is hard, but I am with you in it. So that's how I really encountered Jesus was in the midst of silence, turning to God in prayer and hearing him just reassure me that, that these days will not always be the same, that it will not always be dark, that the light will come. And perhaps it feels quite, uh, quite poignant to be recording this the day before the clocks fall back because the days are getting shorter and shorter and the days, hours of daylight seem to be getting less and less. It's then that I can say, the darkness is coming. And in some ways the darkness has come, but that will not triumph. It will be light that triumphs. It will be God that triumphs, that it is Christ that triumphs. And that very Christ, that very Jesus is the one who walks beside me through the darkness, that I might see where I'm going, that I might be able to know the path that he's calling me to, and that I might have hope of a future which is wrapped up in God's care and protection and not mine. Well, we're going to listen now to God's words together and we're diving back into this prophet's diary, Rebuild Haggai. Uh, Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 to 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of King Darius, 
the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought, is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. The power of the right question. I remember years and years ago when I first started preaching and this one message I'd really just poured my heart out in trying to prepare it. Uh, I'd taken a long time to prepare a PowerPoint to go with it, which believe it or not, was not used as frequently back in the day if you know me now you know I can't do anything without PowerPoint um, but but back then it was a new thing and I'd I'd spent ages um, getting it ready uh, and then when it came to the day of the preach uh, when we turned up in the, uh, at the in the place I started speaking uh, and I realized halfway through that this laptop that was running the PowerPoint didn't have the same fonts as me and so it just looked really awkward it didn't fit in the space it was meant to fit and uh, not all the words fitted on the slides and it, it just was hugely distracting. Uh, now I don't know if you had to do this but it's exhausting when you're talking and you're presenting but inside you've got this internal dialogue just wondering is it worth just shedding the PowerPoint? Is it is it so distracting it's unhelpful now uh, and I just couldn't work out what to do and so uh, at the end of my talk that I'd poured hours into. I just felt so dejected. I felt exhausted. I, I felt like I'd, I'd wasted my time and, and theirs that it hadn't worked somehow. And I felt like those poor people at the end sometimes of the great British Bake Off episodes that cry uh, over their cakes and it's not really what's on the plate that hurts so much. It's the hours they poured in that feel silly, that feel wasted, that feel pointless because something hasn't worked. I don't know if you've been in that place in your life, in work or in a relationship or even in your relationship with God, something just doesn't sit, it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. And I remember uh, chatting to my dad and just saying, I, just, I feel like I missed it today. I just, just don't really know what to do with it. I remember him saying to me, John, do you feel like you said 
what you believe the Lord told you to say. And I sat and I said, yeah, yeah I think I did, but and went into everything else. And he just said to me, no, no, no. There is no other indicator of success in ministry when we're trying to serve the Lord. Our only question is, did I do what I believe the Lord wanted me to do in the way I believe he wanted me to do it? Which was hugely important, hugely significant. The power of the right question. In our last session, uh, we were thinking about the people of Israel as they were about a month into this building project. Uh, and the question that was in the forefront of their minds was the wrong question. Will this be as good as the temple that was before? Uh, will we be able to, to match it? Uh, will it look as special or impressive or significant? And through Haggai, the Lord points out this is the wrong question, the right question is is the lord with us as we are working will the lord be with us when we worship in that temple is the same spirit able to be among us to inspire us to to, to provide for us to guide us and the answer to those questions it is yes and it makes all the other questions seem wrong and silly and small and we come this week to some questions that the lord wants to ask the people again that prophecy that we looked at last time was on the 17th of October, 520 BC. This one is two months and a day later, uh, on the 18th of December, uh, 520 BC, 62 days later. So we're about three months in to this build. It's a significant day, it's an important date, uh, because it seems to be the date when the foundations of the temple were laid. So these are foundational questions that the Lord asks. The first one is this. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? Okay, straight away there's a lot there to unpick. Uh, let's start with the word consecrated. Uh, consecrated simply means something that is set apart for special or specific use. Uh, and so when the people of Israel uh, want to offer something to God, it's really important to them that it is consecrated, that it is set apart solely for that use. And that's where the word holy comes from. Uh, these aren't ordinary things anymore. They're, they're, they're set apart for the Lord. They're holy unto the Lord. And so meat that is offered in the temple is consecrated meat. It's not meat that's used for any other purpose. Uh, now, sometimes if there was meat left over from sacrifice, uh, that was offered to the priests to provide for them because these were consecrated people living consecrated lives. They're set apart. They don't do anything else with their life other than serve the people and serve the Lord. Uh, and so the question is, if someone's carrying this holy meat, this meat that is only to be used for the Lord or for his priests, in the fold of their garment, which is quite usual because once it's been blessed and set apart, the priest protects it so it doesn't come into contact with anything else. And the Lord's question is this, go and ask the priests if the fold of that garment that is shielding the holy meat touches something else, does that thing become consecrated? So the question he's asking is, is holiness contagious? 
if I come into contact with something holy, do I pick it up? Does it spread onto me? And the priests are really clear on this. No, no, holiness is not contagious. It's a really interesting question to ask on the day that the foundations are being laid, foundational questions. Uh, yes, Israel, you are rebuilding the temple. Yes, now there will be this holy place, this, this, this place that is consecrated, set apart only for the Lord, only for worship and sacrifice and teaching. That's all it's going to be for. Right at the centre of it will be something that's called the Holy of Holies, the, the place where the Ark of the Covenant is going to be kept, where God's presence will, will dwell and the, and the high priest will go in to intercede for the people. There will be this holy place now in the nation, but that alone does not make you holy. It's like right even in the heart of the Old Testament that we think of as being a very works-based thing. The Lord wants the people to know, yes, this will be a place, a, a, a symbol, a, a line in the sand, a statement of, of, of intent, a means of God's presence. But God is looking for more than that, more than a token. He's looking for relationship. And then the Lord almost reverses the question. The second question uh, comes in the next verse. If a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? This one is, is far more straightforward, far, far easier to understand. In Jewish thinking, anybody that comes into contact with death or a dead body is ceremonially unclean. It's one of the ways in which the Lord protects his people from, from death by separating them. Uh, remember, these were days uh, when not much was understood uh, about hygiene and, and, and health. Uh, but you're ceremonially unclean and need to go through a process of, of cleansing. This is why in Jesus's story of the Good Samaritan, when the priest and the Levite see a man who's been left for dead on the side of the road, they won't go near him, uh, regardless of what their compassion would tell them to do or what the character of God would, would prescribe to them, for they don't want to be in danger of being ceremonially unclean. That's how strong this belief was. And God is deliberately choosing provocative language here. I mean, I, I guess it wouldn't be that different for us today if you knew that something you were about to eat had come into contact with a dead body. You'd think twice, wouldn't you? Uh, you'd probably shudder at the thought of, of eating it. But to a Jewish mind, this is intense. This is something that is repulsive. This is something disgusting. This is something dirty. That's what God is saying here. Holiness is not contagious, but sin can be extremely contagious. It stinks to God like death. It spreads through our lives like a disease. It's repulsive to him. If you want to know how seriously God takes sin, you only have to look at the cross. The price that God was willing to pay to forgive us, to cleanse us. Uh, the power of, of the cross, it took nothing less than the death of the one and only Son of God, the perfect Lamb, to take away our sin. 
God in the New Testament does not take the issue of sin uh, even more lightly than the Old Testament. He takes it far more seriously. Uh, sin is repulsive to him. And he says to Haggai, uh, says through Haggai rather, uh, everything these people do at the moment, even everything they offer is, is defiled because there's contact with death, there's contact with sin uh, in, in their lives. And then there's a very sharp change of tone and it begins with a phrase that the Lord uses three times in this short prophecy, from this day on. Mark the date. That was then and this is now. From now on and he wants them to see it and so he says mark the date the day when the foundations were laid, the 18th of December, go and see how much grain you've got in your barns. Notice how much the fig tree blossoms and the pomegranates, if I can say it, uh, and, and the olive trees. Just check it out and then notice it because I want you to see it. I want you to know that something is going to be different now as you start to rebuild your lives and have me at the center of your nation, as you start to seek to have a place where that you, know, you can be clean again, where you can connect with, with me again, as you seek to do that, as you draw back to me and I draw back to you, notice how it affects your whole life. Now, this gets really personal. It's like God wants to say to them, from this day on, I will bless you. Yes, the, the, the temple will be a symbol, a place, a means of that, but it is not the temple that does that. It's not the process. It's not the ritual. I will bless you. And every time you go to your barn and there's seed to plant, every time you go to a fig tree and there is fruit to eat, remember this day, mark the date, remember this promise, this commitment, I will bless you. The trouble in our lives is that we lose sight of God. We forget that the blessings he pours out into our lives are meant to be personal. Uh, they're meant to change us. Something foundational happens, something foundational shifts when we choose to bring the sacrifice of praise. Not when we, we wait until we feel excited or wait until we're prompted, but when we actively look for reasons for gratitude in our lives, something changes. We, we begin to see that God is weaved into the fabric uh, of our lives, that God is responsible for us and looking after us and caring for us. When we don't notice those things, our relationship with God can drift to a place of, of coldness, of, of farness, of hardness. Praise is, is a powerful thing. I've been absolutely loving the stories of encounter, the testimonies that we've been sharing uh, on Dwell. And one person who replied to the invitation to do this uh, thanked me and said, thank you for the question. Uh, it was the right question because it was only when I sat and thought about it that I realised that I had encountered Jesus in lockdown uh, and I recognised how much God had been saying and doing uh, in a period that I just thought of as, as, as wilderness, as empty, as dry and as barren. It's only when I stopped and thought about it. 
Jesus once taught on worry, didn't he? And I love his words. Stop and look at the birds. So beautiful. I mean, kings would envy their, their splendour, their, their colour, their design, their beauty. But they don't look stressed, do they? They're not toiling. Uh, they've, they've got no long-term retirement scheme that they're signed up for. Your heavenly father clothes them and feeds them. How much more will he feed and clothe you? Would you stop and look at the lilies of the field? How beautiful they are. They grow without worry. They grow without strain. They grow without stress because your heavenly father clothes them. How much more does he want to clothe you? The simple truth is, the plain and simple truth, is that we've lost our vision, that the birds are beautiful because God is clothing them, that the flowers grow because God is, is looking after them. And because we've lost our understanding of that, worry creeps into our lives. If I don't work, if I don't earn, if I don't do this thing, what will happen to me? And praise is like a shaft of light that bursts through that cloud and says, no, God provides, God blesses, uh, God, God clothes, God, God feeds, God uh, looks after me. And every time we do that, it's like another ray of light pushing through the cloud. And we realise that God is part and parcel of every single part of our lives. Growing up, I loved the Winnie the Pooh stories. In fact, if I'm honest, I, I still love them. Uh, and sometimes I feel like one of the characters in, in that story, uh, Tigger, you know, I just bouncing. It doesn't really matter what happens. I can find energy and, and joy. And at other times, probably more so, I can feel like Eeyore, <laughs> you know, great day Eeyore. Is it? What's, what's great about it? You know, nothing's right nothing's good there's tigger and then there's eeyore and i guess there's others in the middle uh, there's piglet isn't there who's just happy to go along with whoever he's with and i wonder in our christian life if it gets a little bit schizophrenic at times uh, that there are times of deep depression times of, of of huge joy but for most of the time we're just happy to be swayed by circumstances or swayed by the, the, the people that we're with. But praise is foundational. Praise grounds us in no, no, no. God is here. God is blessing. God is with you. Now, one thing I don't think we do very well is mark the date. Uh, and God says very clearly, notice this, see this. I wonder if you were to look back over the last two months and a day, 62 days, how many things you could thank God for in that time. The psalmist says, doesn't he, this is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So there are reasons to rejoice every day, even in the fact that it's a day that God has, has given to us. So can you think of 62 reasons to thank God just from the last two months? We sing the song, don't we? 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Well, I'm not asking for 10,000. I'm not even asking for 1,000. 62. Grab a piece of paper and a pen. How many reasons can you find to bless this God who has blessed us, who's determined to, to, to bless our lives?
maybe for now just just try and think of three can you thank god for three things right now in your life something happens to us doesn't it when we remember even that word to re remember something to put something back together to to reconstruct it to retell it to rehearse it something happens far too many of us struggle with short-term and long-term memory loss when it comes to our relationship with god and knowing that jesus gave us a really simple instruction to take bread and to take wine and to eat and to drink to remember him especially in his death and resurrection to remember in bread that is broken a body that was given for us a sacrifice that can cleanse every stain of sin and shame to take wine that has been poured out for us and to remember his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins and the forgiveness of many and here's where it gets personal Jesus says this temple, the temple of his body, will be destroyed, but I will raise it up again. I will rebuild it in, in three days. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed, the blood of the covenant for you. See, this is as, as personal as it gets. Remember me, Jesus says. So there might be a moment today there might be a moment this week when you just want to plan to mark the date, to take some bread, to take some wine or to take whatever symbols or elements you've, you've got at home and to sit and not just eat them, not just drink them, uh, but to be blessed in remembering. You know, whenever we gather in his name, Jesus comes to presence himself, to dwell among us. Praise is somehow a place that the Lord is able to inhabit, to dwell within. Remember Jesus and give thanks. This is foundational as we seek to rebuild our lives in him. What is the question you think you're asking right now what's the issue that you're itching that you're chasing and just hold that for a moment and then ask the Lord this what is the right question I should be asking in my life Have a think about your relationship with God right now and the rhythm of it. And just like with the temple, I want to ask you a really foundational question. Is it procedural or is it personal? Is it about rituals and rules or is it about relationship? Because if there are things that have contaminated and defiled. Hear these words from the Lord from now on. 
remember Jesus. That was then. And this is now. So if there's anything you just need to confess. The Lord is here. The Lord is listening. And the Lord is gracious. It's as high, as high as the heavens above, such is the depths of his love towards those who fear you. Oh Lord, as far as the east is from the west, you have removed my transgressions. You make my life brand new. Father, we want to say to you afresh tonight that we love you. And so now, in the power of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus, we go in peace. We go because of the cross in purity. And because of the goodness of God, we go in praise to love and serve the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.